Welcome to the Energetics Exchange podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts. Please note that the information and commentary in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular individual or business. Listeners should not rely upon the content in this podcast without first seeking advice from a professional. Hello and welcome to the Energetics Exchange podcast. I'm Sally Cook, a Principal Consultant at Energetics and Leader of our Strategy and Policy Services Area. In this episode, we will be discussing emissions reduction targets. There are increasing expectations on companies and governments to demonstrate emissions reduction commitment by setting ambitious targets. However, there are many types of targets which can be set and they have different benefits and trade-offs and levels of commitment. Here with me today to demystify target setting is Energetics' Sonia Sampson and Matt Sprague. Sonia helps clients with setting science-based targets for scope one, two, and three emissions and brings insight into strategies such as internal carbon pricing to drive decarbonisation. Matt helps companies to set net zero targets and develop long-term decarbonisation plans to achieve them. Welcome to you both. Hi, Sally. Thanks, Sally. So there are many businesses who want to set a greenhouse gas emissions target but don't know what type of target to set. Sonia, where should they start? Thanks, Sally. I do think that the target setting landscape is quite crowded and so that can make it challenging for a company when they're choosing which target setting approach or even combination of approaches to choose. So one of the things that a company could do, particularly when they're just at the start of this process, is to really ask themselves why they're setting an emissions reduction target. So for some companies, that could be a desire to be aligned to best practice in their industry. And in that case, it would be quite important to look at what their peers are doing or what frameworks their peers are using for target setting. For other companies, it could be around brand integrity or brand reputation. And so for those companies, selecting target setting frameworks that have strong brand recognition or very stringent requirements for actually getting accreditation could be more important. And these are just some examples. But I think what it highlights is how if a company really interrogates their objectives for setting an emissions reduction target, they can start to identify the criteria that's most important to them and then use that criteria in assessing or comparing different target setting frameworks. And that should help start the process of choosing which target setting approach is most relevant to you or your company. So I think the other thing to add there, Sonia, those are some really good points. The thing other companies are doing is setting targets to be doing the right thing from an environmental and climate change perspective, rather than a brand reputation or a purely financial position. If they're trying to align themselves with the climate science and set targets, um, either in line with with the Paris target or um, to meet other environmental sustainable goals, then that has a different viewpoint around the frameworks that are applicable to them as well. Well said. Matt, can you give us an outline of... Um, some of the common standards, for example, science-based targets and net zero targets and what they actually mean? Yeah, thanks, Sally. So to start off with science-based targets is aligning your emissions reduction strategy with the current climate science. So the climate science that's set under the Paris Agreement 
projects uh, a one and a half degree target and also a two degree target over the next few decades. And the setting a science-based target means that you understand your emissions trajectory for your sector, for your organization and your market penetration out over the next few decades, whether you set a one and a half degree target or a well below two degree target. Um, net zero, on the other hand, is a little bit more tailored to an individual organizations. So under net zero, we need to set a target that's either inclusive of scope one and scope two, or also scope three emissions to achieve at zero by a target year. And organizations and businesses are changing three elements of that target. One being the inclusion of scope three or not. The second one being the time frame for which they set the target for. And thirdly, whether it's a, a target for the entire portfolio or certain elements. So a recent example is the West Farmer announcement where they announced a net zero 2030 target for their retail um, branches. And then they've also set a net zero 2050 target for some of their industrial elements of their portfolio. I think a couple of other things to consider with when setting a net zero target is that there's currently no generally accepted standard for net zero targets. And you need to be careful about potential greenwashing. So if you are choosing to do a target which potentially incorporates partial scopes, so maybe scope one and two, but not scope three, or um, parts of your business. So for example, the way that West Farmers has set a different type of um, target for different parts of their portfolio. I think as long as you're really clear in the public domain about what your target covers, you potentially avoid some of those issues of being perceived as being greenwashing. Whereas if you're really ambiguous about what your target covers, it might call it into question. The other differentiator between science-based targets and net zero targets is that science-based targets need to be over a period of five to 15 years and that there's set standards for those. So you could set them in combination, for example, a science-based target over the shorter term and then a net zero by 2040 or 2050. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. What we saw in the AMP net zero strategy is that they're going to buy renewable electricity, but they're also undertaking energy efficiency and neighbours upgrades. They're also undertaking electrification studies for their natural gas heating systems and a, and a range of other opportunities that they're exploring with offsets being the last resort for the remaining emissions. When we're talking about um, a net zero economy, offsets is, is a limited opportunity. So when we're talking about Australia or New South Wales or any of the other states and territories that have set net zero targets, the use of offsets is, is really the last resort. So both of you touched on the use of offsets and different standards. Sonia, what do companies need to consider when they're planning to use offsets to meet a greenhouse gas target? Yeah, I think almost to, to summarise some of the points that we've been raising up until now, there's two ways you can look at the use of offsets against an emissions reduction target. So the first is maybe more short-term or operational, and that's really just understanding if offsets are permitted against your chosen emissions reduction framework. An example of that is under the science-based target initiative, offsets can't be used towards meeting your target. And then also just understanding if offsets are allowed, if there are any technical requirements, for example, around the vintage or type of offset that's allowed. But then there's also the longer term view on offsets, which Matt alluded to, 
And that's considering the future availability and your potential or your ability to access those future offsets. One of the things you need to consider is if you've set a net zero target or an emissions reduction target that requires offset for a particular date in the future, say 2030, then the expectation is you will be net zero every year following that. And that does mean you need to understand your offsets procurement strategy well into the future and what changing demand for offsets in the market may mean for your ability to access those offsets. So the other the other thing to include in that strategy is aligning the offset projects or the offset sources with other internal environmental or sustainability targets for the for your business. So whether you're an Australian land-based company and you want to support indigenous offset projects or other Australian-based land-based offset projects, or whether you do a lot of work, for example, in India, like Telstra do, and want to support Indian offset projects. So aligning the sources, project types, and also which frameworks for offsets you want to support as well with other targets will assist in the co-benefits and also the narrative that organizations can put around those offset procurement. Yeah, doing your due diligence on international offsets and international standards is vitally important to make sure you're getting what you're paying for as well. Ensuring that the sta- you know both the standard and the type of project is likely to generate real offsets is very important. And aligning the offset with the emissions source as well is a good opportunity. So a lot of businesses and targets that are being set in Australia are using renewable electricity certificates such as LGCs to offset their scope to electricity emissions and using carbon offsets to offset everything else. So while offsets are are applicable for scope to emissions, it's more common to use renewable electricity to offset your electricity emissions than it is to use offsets. And one of the points you touched on, Sonia, was the availability of offsets. And I think it's fair to say that the more people um, who are setting ambitious emissions targets and the more net zero emissions targets that are coming to the fore, um, the greater the demand on offsets over time and therefore the potential for prices to go up. And that should also be a consideration of your of your offset strategy and whether or not you could be potentially partnering with other with offset providers to secure long-term offset needs and price or potentially originating offsets within your own portfolio if you can as well, in addition to your emissions reduction activities, are both considerations that you could take into account. And I think, Sally, what you've just also um, alluded to is the importance of understanding what your emissions forecast looks like into the future because if you're procuring offsets for 2030, your business's emissions profile in 2030 may look quite different to what it looks like in 2020. And so you need to have that forward-looking view of your emissions profile as well. And understanding the emissions profile is understanding your business business strategy. So are you forecasting growth within the organization? Are you plateauing or are you contracting as a, as a business or as a sector? So, for example, you know, if you're a, a property company and you're actually looking to transition away from C and D grade buildings and you've got a, an internal strategy to start procuring A and B grade buildings, well, that's a different emissions mix. Even though the organization size might be the same, you'll have a different profile. Um, the other thing to look at is, for example, airports. So as airports are unlikely to 
grow unless you build new terminals. Having the property and procurement strategy out over the next 10 years and understanding what new infrastructure is going in, what new energy using equipment is going in, whether it's more control systems, more communication systems, um, bigger HVAC systems, for example, is is really important. And just what we've found is that a lot of organizations don't have a strong grasp on that forecast out one, two or three decades. Most people have a really good handle on what where the business is going in the next two to three years. But having that longer term view is going to be key to understanding the overall target cost or the number of offsets you're going to need or the number of opportunities that you can do to reduce your emissions. So as you're building your new infrastructure, as you're growing your business, building in low emissions materials, low emission technologies into that uh, into that strategy and into those designs can be one of your emissions reduction opportunities which can reduce your offset requirements later on, but that often comes at a cost. So understanding the offset cost in the future can help inform those procurement decisions now for you know for assets with 20 or 30 year lives. Certainly they're very important points and I think you don't necessarily have to have one forecast either. If you've got an uncertain future and you're projecting out for a long time, having different forecasts to sensitivity test against is valuable as well. So forecasting is obviously a vital element as well of the process of understanding how you might achieve a target that your business has already set. Um, Matt, some businesses do do that. They go um, and they set an ambitious net zero target and then they work back in terms of how they will achieve that. How do they start from there? So once you've set your target, you, as you mentioned, Sally, you then need to go and work out how to achieve it. And say you set a 2030 target, what we don't want to do is leave everything till 2029 and then go and buy however many offsets we need. That's probably not the most economically um, viable way of achieving that target. So you've got, we've obviously got a decade to achieve a 2030 target, but the action needs to start now. So you need to start understanding what your base year emissions are and identifying the emissions reductions opportunities. And often there's projects that we can do now that will have emissions reductions and cost-saving benefits. There's projects that will have emissions benefits but will be neutral financial outcomes. And there'll be some projects which will cost the organization over the over the decade. So having a blended approach over over the time frame to achieve the target at lowest total cost will be important. So really developing a roadmap and a strategy, which we've done for a few clients, one being a larger government organization, really outlining the key milestones, the key steps and the key projects that they need to undertake in each year between now and 2030 to achieve a target working out the lowest possible cost and moving projects based on capital budget constraints and the payback of of each project to to reduce the total costs. We're also working with a number of clients who have very unset future emissions profiles and very emissions intensive businesses in the time horizon of their targets out to sort of the 2050 type time horizon a lot of the technological developments that might happen between now and then could be highly influential on what they end up doing. Um, and some of the technologies that they might need are not yet developed. That's what we found in, in this strategy roadmap is we looked at electrification studies for the client. And at the moment, they don't have positive financial outcomes. But 
what we've built into the roadmap is review points. So in 2025, you want to go and re-review your electrification study. Have costs come down? Have electricity prices changed? You want to review your renewable electricity procurement, whether it's through a PPA or through LGC offtake agreements, two or three years out from the end of that contract to assess if it's still the right strategy for you. And every couple of years, you want to do program assessments. Are we still on track? Are we still going in the right way? Are there any new technologies, opportunities that we can do differently to uh, to reduce costs overall for the business? That's a really important point, Matt. And we've seen it in the clients that we've worked with is that understanding they develop that the target setting process is not a one-off static event, but it really is a process that you should start building into your general business or strategic processes where you're constantly looping back and reviewing the decisions you've made, the landscape, how it may have changed technologically, but also who you're working with in your value chain. And that it really should become an active, moving part of your day-to-day business processes, not something that's done once and, and filed away. And when we work with clients over a period of time, that's a key development that we see start happening. I think the other thing to loop back on is the carbon inventory sources of emissions. So we've seen organizations set targets based on scope one and scope two targets because when they set that target, scope three was considered too hard or out of their control. And they thought that it was uh, unachievable, unrealistic to set a target. But over the last two or three years, they've now got a better handle on their scope one and scope twos, and they're starting to look at more ambitious scope three targets. So even going back and re-baselining or resetting a target based on this year's emissions, including additional scopes, is, is more than acceptable. Going back to Sally's point earlier, as long as you're transparent and open about what sources are included in a target, then there should be no repercussions um, from stakeholders around setting more ambitious targets based on better understanding and better data. So Matt, you bring up different um, scopes of target and one example is science-based targets, which requires you to set a scope three emissions target as well if your scope three emissions are greater than 40% of your scope one and two, which is the case for the majority of companies. Sonia, you've assisted a number of our clients to navigate the process of setting science-based targets for their scope one, two, and three emissions. What are some of the challenges that they're experiencing through that process? Yeah, I think recognising that for different companies, there may be specific challenges. There are some general ones we've seen. So maybe a more fundamental one around data. It can be challenging for some companies to make sure they have correct data available and where data is available to make sure that it's credible data to set an emissions baseline. We've also spoken quite a bit about forecasting today. And so data is also very important to develop a credible or a series of credible projections of your emissions into the future. And then when we come to actually setting the target for companies that we've worked with, the challenge is then how to drop their business as usual emissions projection so that it's in line with a target emissions profile. And for scope one and two, this challenge is often framed as financial or technology. So Max mentioned 
um, being aware of what technology options are available both now and in the long term to meet your emissions reduction targets. For scope three, that challenge often becomes more a challenge of engagement and influence along your broader value chain, because often to meet some of your, what I like to call non-operational scope threes, um, you need engagement. So what I mean by that is there are some scope threes that are operational that you have direct influence over, for example, business travel or accommodation, use of taxis in your organization. You could set up some policies and processes to reduce emissions from those sources. But for some of our other clients, particularly clients with consumer goods or any FMCG client, where they really have very big upstream value chains, a lot of emissions reduction opportunities there will involve engagement in that value chain. And I think one of the challenges as well is that level of influence around your scope three and being able to influence that scope three, but also the way that you measure it influences how you can reduce it over time. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's true, Sally. So it comes back to the question around data availability. I think you'd want to have the best data available. And so when we're using an example of, say, a product supply chain, the best gold standard data would be actually understanding the emissions at each stage of that product being made and then delivered to your facilities and what the specific emissions are for your specific suppliers. But often that data isn't readily available or when you have hundreds and thousands of products may not be available for all of your products. And so we can start using proxy information, which in a lot of cases could be financial spend data. And that does introduce some challenges because it restricts your ability to understand where you could potentially implement emissions reductions activities and then measure those against a financial baseline. But we've spoken quite a bit in various ways through this discussion about this being a process, about being able to change and adapt as you move along the process. And so what we've seen some of our clients do in setting science-based targets is starting with the best information they have now, which is often financial data, using that to set a target in the first instance, and then working towards improving the quality of their data through using more direct activity data to better understand actual points of emissions in their value chain, and then revising and updating the target and emissions reduction activities as that understanding progresses. The opportunity that that approach also gives you is it highlights the hotspots and the main emission sources for the initial targeted emission reduction strategy. So if you know that 50% of your spend is on uh, waste products, well, that's a really good place to start looking for working with your waste suppliers. But if you're, if half your spend or half your emissions on um, embedded carbon in properties, well, then you probably want to start uh, working with your um, supply chain in that element. And I think some sources almost necessitate working with your supply chain to better understand your emissions. So for example, if you've developed your scope three emissions profile on the basis of um, financial spend data multiplied by an emissions factor, if you continue to spend more over time, your emissions will grow. And so understanding the potential for emissions reductions and actually being able to quantify 
potential emissions reductions in those types of sources almost necessitates you over time to move away from that financial spend times emissions factor approach. And this might not be relevant to all of your scope three sources. And if it's, it might not be even relevant to your material ones, but for those who have material scope three in those types of areas, where they're using that measure, it does make it very difficult to reduce your scope three emissions without better measurement and more specific measurement to your own business. Thanks, Sonia and Matt, for um, talking with us today. I think we've covered a lot of ground. What are the main pieces of advice you'd like to leave with our listeners? I think there's three main things that organisations and businesses need to understand when they're setting targets. Firstly, is understanding the inventory and the baseline and setting targets now for the next decade. Um, You need to know where you are before you can work out where you're going. And setting longer-term targets needs to happen sooner rather than later and not leaving it to the the last minute. The The second part of developing that strategy is understanding what projects you can do within your own asset base, whether that's energy efficiency or renewables projects, identifying those easy wins to reducing emissions not only gives you runs on the board to take on more challenging targets, but it it starts reducing the emissions at low cost. And then thirdly is developing that longer term strategy for the harder to abate emission sources. So be that natural gas or refrigerants in HVAC plants. And alongside that, developing your offset strategy, as that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think those are really good um, three takeaways, Matt, and really describes the process, um, all the key points along the process in a lot of detail. From my side, Sally, maybe just looking at the broader process of target setting, some key takeaways would be make sure you ask the question of why you're actually choosing to set an emissions reduction target understanding that it is a process, not a once-off static event, and making sure that you really pay attention to transparency and disclosure to all of your stakeholders throughout the process. Thanks. Those were excellent points. Thank you both for your time today, and thank you again to our listeners. Stay tuned for more episodes on climate change management and energy markets. Energetics Exchange Podcast conversations with energy and climate experts.